Give the secret handshake. Check your cloaks. And remove your tinfoil hats. This is the Illuminati Social Club. The podcast you don't want they to know about. This is bullshit. This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanation, but not necessarily the only ones to the mysteries we will examine. Welcome to the In Search of series here on the Illuminati Social Club. I'm your host, Jason from Parma. Joining me, as always, from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, Mr. Oliver Oxide. Hello, all. How's everybody? Excellent. How about yourself? Super, thanks. Excellent. And from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Doc Pinko, Steve Cloutier. How are you doing tonight? I am doing well. So tonight we are discussing Season 5, Episode 8, The Lindbergh Kidnapping. Now, my initial note for this one is I'm only marginally familiar with this story. I really, I didn't, I, I knew, I knew things happened. I knew, uh, you know, Lindbergh's baby got kidnapped, but that was pretty much all I knew. So... Yeah. Um, Oliver, what were your uh, impressions of this episode? Well, granted, I am a true true crime tart when it comes to (laughs) this kind of stuff. Anything anything with true crime, I'm all over. Uh, So I knew I was going to like it going in. Um, I they they from what they knew in 1980, they did a, you know, a competent job of explaining everything. Right. Um, Right. I I enjoyed it just because of what it was, um, and it had nothing to do with nature. So you know, I was in already. <laughs> Stephen, yeah, no, I I concur with that. It, it it's kind of like the you know DB Cooper, um, Glenn Miller kind of thing. Um, they did they did a good job, yeah, and some some interesting footage from the thirties because mm-hmm. it was filmed. Um, Right. The, the trial was filmed, so we had sort of trial footage and stuff like that. So I, I have some of the trial footage in the uh, clips, but not all of it, because there was a lot of trial footage. But enough of us. You know what you want. Here's Leonard. A death watch outside Trenton State Prison awaits the execution of Bruno Richard Hauptmann. He has been convicted of kidnapping and murdering this child, the firstborn son of Charles Lindbergh. On the night of April 3rd, 1936, Bruno Hauptmann is put to death. After years of intensive research, a writer named Anthony Scaduto has uncovered startling new evidence that Bruno Hauptmann may not have been guilty of the kidnap or murder of the Lindbergh baby. Okay, uh, so yeah. Now, th- what what hit me was, you know, when I first watched this episode, um, first of all, uh, March 1st, 1932 is when the kidnapping happened. Um, it was in 1934 that Hauptmann was fine, was, uh, arrested and tried and convicted 
1936, he was executed. So from the time of the kidnapping to his execution is four years. Um, let, let, let's look at that, you know. Find find it. Find me a case today that you know the timeline is that quick. So uh, the only the only one I can think of is Gary Gilmore. <laughs> uh, you know, in the last thirty years, right? And that's because he didn't fight it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, that's off the top of my head. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's. I mean, that was like that. You know, in by today's standards, you know that. The Lindbergh case is like, it just seems rushed. Like, you know, let's let's just you know get this over with now. You know, and so. Well, I I think that there's there's some validity to that, Jason. They mm-hmm. want they <clears throat> they did want to dispose of this, and that's really where some of the controversy comes into this. Right, um, is that they did want to dispose of this very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is we have to remember the time. Um, if Lindbergh's personal uh, political views had become known at that particular time, hmm. uh, the more he was in the news, the worse it would have gotten. Hmm. Um, cause you know, Lindbergh was a Nazi. Hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, that was probably part of the haste, I would think just public relations. Right. Yeah. And, and you have this prominent figure in Charles Lindbergh. You don't want to make it look like you can't solve this issue for him you can't you, you, right. you can't find the yeah. you know so um the only uh we, we have a uh we have a phrase here that uh you know has come to become synonymous with uh yeah i would upon hearing it you know almost for certain disappointment when it comes to in search of you know as much as in search of investigates uh we have Startling new evidence. Um, I'm I'm gonna guess that it isn't startling, and it's probably wrong. But you know, well, um, we have to. Well, we have to have a chat about Anthony Scaduto. Yes, <laughs> this is this is not Anthony's bailiwick. Hmm? Uh, funnily enough, Anthony wrote a. Uh, it's uh, it's considered the definitive biography of Bob Dylan. Okay. Um. He usually worked in the mu- in the music criticism world, right? Uh, so how he stumbled upon this is beyond me. I'm just going to take you back to Leonard as well. Leonard is wearing a suit mm-hmm. with flares. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, even in 1980, flares were out. Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, don't, no, don't, don't criticize Leonard. Oh, criticize sorry. his wife. Okay, sorry. Because remember, she's his uh, fashion yes. consultant. Yes. Okay, well, it needs work. <laughs> but Anthony Scaduto, um, you know, again, this is sometimes in search of uh, downfall. Mm-hmm. Is that they only get one quote, quote, expert, unquote, <laughs> and decide to go with them right. no matter what. Uh, there's there's zero peer review in, in search of. <laughs> you think? I think. Uh, here's the next clip. We are a nation founded in laws, but sometimes our system of justice doesn't live up to its highest ideals. With newly uncovered evidence, we're going to go back more than half a century and carefully re-examine a moment when justice may have faltered. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, we're, well, I, I don't think anyone, you know, present, present, uh, administration excluded. Uh, I don't think anyone has, you know, tried to claim that we were perfect. Uh, especially 50 years prior to this episode. You know, I mean, yeah, this, you know, looking at the trial and we will, there's a lot wrong with it. Um, and, and, you know, and, and I, I will give Scuduto some, uh, you know, some credit on pointing some of this stuff out. Um, but yeah, uh, the Lindbergh baby was kidnapped on March 1st, 1932, uh, and police apparently worked double shifts to search for the baby. Um, and, and at one point they show a, a, a cop like look in, like lift up. Uh, like a blanket in a stroller to see, you know. <laughs> uh, is that the baby? Nope. And then one of them looking down from the rooftops. It's like, that's not encouraging. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, it was, you know, it, it, it was what it was, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I don't know much about this era, so... Or even about this case. But, yeah, so apparently, what, Lindbergh was, uh, well, as you said, he was a Nazi, Oliver. Um, well, he didn't, He we, we found that out a little while later. Uh, right, 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 that, that right. Was not, that was not common knowledge at the no, time. No, no, no. It was kind of like the Henry Ford thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, it was kind of all done in back rooms mm -hmm. and discussed over dinner parties and stuff right. like that. Uh, so... So apparently the um, the kidnapper contacted uh, the Lindberghs through an intermediary. Oh, this dope! <laughs> yeah. Oh, we'll get to him. <coughs> um, but the the ransom was accepted, and well, I have a clip. In New York City, first contact is made with the kidnappers by a retired school teacher named John F. Condon. Condon becomes a go-between in the attempt to recover the child. The baby will be returned, I hope, in a short time. We are in contact and nobody is giving up. A month after the kidnapping, Condon and Charles Lindbergh deliver $50,000 to a cemetery in the Bronx. The ransom is accepted, but the Lindbergh baby is not returned. Well, first of all, uh, Condon, why so shouty? I know, yell much? <laughs> I know. And so, talk about enunciate. Mm -hmm. he, he, he kind of shouts and enunciates all at the same time. It's well, he's like, a teacher. Dr. Condon, well done. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, the, the ransom was accepted, but the baby wasn't returned. Uh, instead, a month later, the baby's body... We'll, we'll get to that, but you know, Allegedly. as far as this as far as this episode goes, so far the baby's body is found near the Lindbergh estate. Um, marked bills from the uh, from the kidnapping uh, start showing up uh, throughout New York, and uh, well, one of the bills is spent at a gas station in Manhattan by Bruno Richard Hauptmann, a German immigrant. Um, police find 
$15,000 worth of the ransom money in his garage. Um, and, and I have written here, you know, is finding $15,000 in cash, uh, you know, in the marked bills circumstantial? Of course, you know, uh, to me, to me, it was a lot, you know, there, there was, you could only do so much in 22 minutes. And I have a feeling they just left out so much of, you know, like, did, you know, did he not go in the garage? Did he, you know, uh, did somebody dump the cash in there? Well, we do find out a lot of these answers later on, but, you know, they're playing the they're you know they're 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 playing the 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 teaser game right now am i mm-hmm. right yeah absolutely yeah. yeah i mean and and they sort of leave things out like like condon kind of inserts inserts himself into the investigation mm-hmm. like he had no connection with the Lindberghs um or or anything he just kind of took it upon himself um to act as a go between and and in fact um, there, there was a point where, if not the police, at least some people in the media and the public thought that maybe Condon was involved himself. Hmm. Because well, as, that, we now, as we now know, with kind of serial killers and things like that, a lot of them will do that. They will insert themselves in, into mm-hmm. the investigation. The other thing is, is that who leaves? A, I mean, I know that the FBI was somewhat in its nascent stage at this particular case. But who leaves the money without getting the baby first? Hmm. Like, who does that? I uh, I don't know. Never happened to me. The other thing is, is that um, nobody goes into, if they found $15,000 in Richard Hopman's garage, where did the other 35000 go? Hmm. And in 1932, you spending $35,000 within the space of two years would get noticed. Yeah. Uh, so that's the other thing that they don't really explain, mm-hmm. and nobody's nobody's ever explained it. <laughs> although I do have a theory, right? So now we get to. Uh, I think we're getting to the trial here. We're we're close now. For Hauptman's wife, the trial is torture. Judge Thomas Trenchard has allowed cameras in the courtroom so that the world can witness the trial. The ladder used to reach the baby becomes the trial's symbol and a major piece of evidence. An expert claims that it was partly constructed with wood from Hauptmann's attic. A panel of handwriting experts testify that Hauptmann's writing is identical to that in the ransom notes. Initially, Hauptmann seems unperturbed. Now, John F. Condon takes the stand. He tells the court that he handed the Lindbergh ransom money to a tall, thin man with a German accent at a cemetery in the Bronx. The man called himself John. Who is John? John is Bruno Richard Huffman. Now, Charles Lindbergh tells the court that it was Hauptmann's voice that he clearly heard on the night that the ransom was paid. Another witness, Amandus Hockmuth, swears he saw Hauptmann near the Lindbergh house on the day before the crime. A host of other eyewitnesses connect Bruno Hauptmann with the ransom money. Uh, 
Hoffman's robe in the mine station and pull up to an ethyl pump and ask for five gallons of gas. I identified Bruno Richard Hoffman. I identified Bruno Richard Hoffman. Bruno Richard Hoffman was the man who came to the Sheridan Theater and handed me one of the $5 ransom bills. Now... Hauptmann's only real defense lies in his power to convince the court that he did not commit the crime. Ah, eyewitness testimony. So reliable. Especially yes. especially after, what, two years? And, <laughs> and someone at a movie theater in mm-hmm. 1930? Mm-hmm. Come on. I mean... We won't even go into ear witnesses. <laughs> no. Yeah, because apparently, and I, you know, I'll spoil this part. Um, Lindbergh identified uh, Hopman's voice from the cemetery on two words. Two words. Hey, Doc. So that's damning enough for me. Execute him. <laughs> um. So after all that, after after you know, all of that, the jury took. 11 hours to find him guilty. And most of that was probably wondering what to have for lunch. <laughs> hey, a free meal. You might um, as well stick around for the free lunch. And, you know, tri- trials of the century are usually, uh, you know, pretty skewed. <laughs> well, you had all the publicity on it. You know, how much of... Cause I'm going to go ahead and guess that Hopman's uh, public defender wasn't really interested in defending him. <laughs> um, so, you know, jury selection was probably really sloppy. Um, so oh, if you listen, if you listen to Scaduto, he almost kind of suggests that the defense attorney is in on the conspiracy. Hmm. I don't know if you have a clip for that, so I don't um, know if I'm spoil it now. But I, I have I have quite a few of uh, Scaduto's, and yeah, I'm I'm not gonna because the thing is, what he you know a lot of what he says could easily be found, you know, and he put some you know. He's connecting some dots, which, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of connecting dots because, you know, it's usually a, uh, uh, it usually sucks. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, he's looking, you know, he's talking about public, you know, public record here and he can't get in, you know, he says at the end that he can't get into, uh, the, the police department records. So. They, you know, they're obviously not letting him in. So, <laughs> um, here is, uh, let's see. Yeah, this is uh, the next clip here. Anthony Scaduto, a writer and a former reporter, has spent more than three years investigating the complex details of the Lindbergh kidnapping case. Scaduto's probing research has revealed some startling new facts. Back in 1973, I got a call from a man who had been on the fringes of organized crime for many years. I I had been the mafia expert, so-called, for the New York Post. And he said he could prove that Hauptman was absolutely innocent uh, of the crime of kidnapping and killing the Lindbergh baby. And I began to check into some of his evidence, and I eventually got into the files of the Bronx District Attorney's Office. 
and the New York City Police Department. And I found strong evidence that Hauptmann indeed had been the victim of a frame-up. I found evidence that all the eyewitness testimony had been, the eyewitnesses were either liars or uh, mistaken, that the expert testimony, the expert witnesses, distorted in order to help convict Hauptmann, and that the physical evidence, every piece of physical evidence, was either manufactured by the police or distorted by them to convict Hauptmann. And I feel absolutely certain that Hauptmann was innocent. I, you know what? I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here. <laughs> you, you can kind of see it happening. You know, you have a, you have a high-profile uh, victim in uh, Lindbergh. You know, he's a celebrity. He's, you know, you know America's sweetheart at this point. We won't get into the other part because uh, <laughs> that didn't come out till way later. Um, you know, and he just suffered a, you know, a major tragedy in his life. So, you know, of course the police want, let's get this done. So they're going to find the first person they can to, that, that fits the bill. And it's Hopman. So let's do anything we can to put him away. Maybe maybe that's why the rush job to uh, to execute him so that you know you know put put him out of sight out of mind quickly so that you know he can't plead his case anymore. Well, I, I think that I, I think that he was um, certainly ethnically profiled, especially at this particular time, mm-hmm. uh, being German. Um, he was an illegal immigrant, <laughs> um, and he was a petty criminal back in, in, uh, in Germany. He did have a couple of convictions and had spent done jail time in Germany for burglary. Right. Uh, so I think with all of these things combined, the thing that I can't get around Jason yes. is the money, is the money mm-hmm. because everything that we've talked about so far Wood pieces of wood out of attics and that don't match and finger lack of fingerprints and all this kind of stuff and ear witnesses. It's getting around that money in the garage. That's the problem. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, 11 hours for that. It's just it, right. I could just, I've never been on a jury. It's something I hope to, it's on my bucket list actually <laughs> is to be on a jury one day. Um, but you know, after you get past the money, we're done. Mm-hmm. So, uh, let's see. Yeah, uh, the wood the wood from the ladder probably didn't come from the attic, or if it did, it was like it was planed and sanded and and all this other stuff so that you know it didn't even match. Well, also his garage was full of lumber. Mm-hmm. Why would he be taking it from the attic? Right. <laughs> yeah, he was he was a woodworker. He was a German carpenter. So, all right, uh, next clip. The body that was found was in such a severe state of decomposition that the family doctor, on looking at the corpse, said, if you gave me a million dollars, I could not identify this thing. Lindbergh made the identification solely on the basis of counting the number of teeth. Uh, any child of the same age, 
generally, millions of children of the same age would have the same number of teeth. The chances are that that body was not the body of the Lindbergh baby, which means that no murder has been proved, which means that Hauptmann was absolutely wrongly convicted, forgetting all the other evidence. He was wrongly convicted because they could not prove a murder. Anyone? Well, that's a that's a ridiculous statement right there. Yeah, yeah, I think okay, that that's a little you know that's taking a leap. But if the you know if the evidence you know, well you know if the story about the body is true, and you know it was you know decomposed beyond recognition, um. How do you make a how how do you make an identification? And there are tons of of murder convictions based on hmm. not finding right. a body. Uh, not finding a body does he just said that that doesn't make it a murder then if they can't hmm. find a body. That's dumb. Yeah. Um and he, and he also makes the conclusion that that they couldn't identify it so therefore the body wasn't the Lindbergh baby. Hmm. I mean, it could still have been the Lindbergh baby. It, it, I mean, saying we we don't know does not mean that it's not yeah true, right? Just because the methodology is faulty, and I agree with that, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that that wasn't the baby to begin with. Exactly. And now we're introduced to Isidore Fish, who is, uh, which I didn't get. I don't think I got much out of that, but uh, Isidore Fish was apparently the man who uh, Hotman claimed left the money in his garage. And told him it was so, it was something about you know told him there there were like gold bearer bonds or something. Um, that this is according to Wikipedia, um, and not to open the box. So you know, I guess Hopman being being a good friend or highly intimidated uh, said, "Okay, I won't open the box." Well, obviously, he did open the box because he pawned off the $5 at the gas station in Manhattan. So, at the least, he's a thief. So, that does, that, that explanation does him no good whatsoever. But this was, like, well, this was, uh, like, a couple years after the kidnapping that the bills started showing up. Um, so, it could be possible that... You know, fish left the money and then, you know, skedaddled. And, you know, Hopman didn't know if he was going to return or not and said, you know what, I'm just going to, you know, I'm not touching this. I don't know what he's been into. And then figured, you know, well, two years has been long enough. I'm going to open that box and see what's in it. And holy cow. <laughs> it's also possible, and I, I'd have to check the timeline. I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, fish died in 1934. Hmm. Right, I so thought I he, saw something about that. He, yeah, he did. Yeah, but he was in Europe when he died. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, he left the box because you know how how are you going to get you know back into Germany with uh, you know what fifty thousand American dollars in a in a shoebox? Uh, <laughs> but but my point is, Hopman might have heard that hmm. Fish had died. Yeah. And so then said, "Well, I can look in the box." And found the money. I'd, I'd have to check the timeline for right. sure to make sure. That, that's just that's just again a supposition, I guess. So, 
Now, let's see. Uh, what was it? A uh, couple episodes ago, we talked about a handwriting expert. Well, now, now we talk about a new handwriting expert. In 1977, I was contacted by a woman named Hilda Zanglein. She was a defense handwriting expert. She was dismissed because she said that she would get up and testify that the original ransom notes had been tampered with to make them look more like Hauptmann's handwriting. And she sent me a, an example of what she saw. And what they basically did, she said, was to round off letters in the ransom notes so they would look more like Hauptmann's handwriting. And she said it was very obvious. And she was not permitted to testify. That evidence was never introduced by the defense. So not, now we have a handwriting expert who apparently knew something. And not just, you know, did psychoanalysis on, you know, oh, sorry. That was a few episodes ago. This is the thing that I I said earlier. This suggests that the defense is in on the conspiracy Mm -hmm. because she's a defense witness Mm -hmm. and the the defense did not call her. So if there's a conspiracy to frame Hauptman, then the defense attorney has to be in on it. Right. So... (laughs) Now we get to uh, the, the the man who said he saw Hotman driving by the Lindbergh house the day of the kidnapping apparently turned out to be almost completely blind. So, you know, if you're almost completely blind, can you see someone driving by clearly? That would be a no. <laughs> um. And uh, let's see, this uh, Dr. Condon, the intermediary, our, you know, our shouty friend from earlier, uh, was apparently threatened with complicity if he didn't identify Hoffman as the man who delivered the ransom, uh, to whom he delivered the ransom. So, I, I you know, I'll say, sure, okay, um, anyone? Well, as Steve pointed out, I mean, this guy was so weird mm-hmm. uh, of injecting himself with no relationship whatsoever. Right. Uh, why the why the police even let him, allowed him <laughs> to be involved in this is a mind boggler to begin <laughs> with. And plus, he's a little creepy, i got to say. Just, just a little. Uh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and finally, Lindbergh identified Hoffman's voice based completely on two words spoken. That's it. Nope. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, anyone? I have one well, more I clip. Mean, okay, go. If the Lindbergh baby was not the victim of Bruno Richard Hauptmann, who then kidnapped the child? Without any real conclusive evidence, because I have not been able to get into the files of the New Jersey State Police, uh... I feel rather strongly that Isidore Fish had some role in it, perhaps as the kidnapper, perhaps simply as the extortionist. And it could have been two different plots. But Isidore Fish had been a swindler. He was involved with underworld figures. And he had been seen in the area of the Lindbergh home weeks, days, months perhaps before the kidnapping. Also that Isidore Fish was known to have had uh, business dealings and personal friends in the area of the Lindbergh home in the Sourland Mountains. In conclusion, I feel strongly that Isidore Fish, if anyone, 
had a large hand in the kidnapping and or extortion. So, there you have it. Um, we've learned... Have we learned anything? Uh, from what we know today, mm-hmm. uh, we, we should make the note that uh, Hotman's widow never let go of this. She sued the bejesus yeah. out of people mm-hmm. left, right, and center until the day she died. Mm-hmm. I think Steve, I think she made it to 95, Steve? Yeah, it was, yeah she was in, certainly uh, in her uh, she never She never gave up on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, she lost every time. Um, but she, she never gave up on this. Um, and, uh, I think we should, uh, as an end note, that should be, you know, kind of reference because, uh, she could have just gone off to a life of, um, you know, mystery and no one bother her and everything like that. But she kept this out in front for mm-hmm. ages. Um, so as, as you might've guessed, ladies and gentlemen, there there might be one or two conspiracy theories about this uh case. Um let's see. Um well one of them is uh one one theory is Lindbergh accidentally killed his son in a prank gone wrong. And uh a prank gone wrong? What yeah. like the peekaboo? They, they actually <laughs> took off his nose? What? Uh, let's see. Wrong. Uh, criminal defense attorney Gregory Algren posits Lindbergh climbed a ladder and brought his son out a window, but dropped the child, killing him, so he hid the body in the woods, then covered up the crime by blaming Hopman. <laughs> so. And, no, sorry kids, this is my only personal theory. That Hopman and, and Fish were in on it together. It explains the money in the garage. It also explains the amount of money because if they split it, then him having twenty five thousand would make more sense that he would have fifteen left. Good point. After two years. Yeah. Uh, so you know what is it? Occam's razor. That's it. That's when the most obvious. You go with that. Is, is yes. that correct? Yes, it yes. is. It. This is Occam's razor. That mm-hmm. money. You can't get around the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, I'm I'm not convinced Helpman is part of it, um, but it was certainly more than one person. Mm-hmm. And if he wasn't part of the conspiracy to to commit to kidnap the baby, he certainly knew the people involved. Mm-hmm. Right, like he might not have been involved in the actual kidnapping, but he was certainly involved in. The after stuff. Ooh, by the way, uh, Hopman turned down a large offer from a Hearst newspaper for a confession and refused a last-minute offer to commute his sentence from the death penalty to life without parole in exchange for a confession. So, wow. A William Randolph Hearst uh, newspaper uh, offered him money. Or, you know, probably offered, you know, him money for his wife to, uh, yeah, to, to, you know, just, you know, confess and I'll give you money. Um, yeah, and then following Hopman's death, uh, 
Let's see. Reporters and investigators came up with numerous questions. Of course, it was after his execution. Um, yes. Can't can't question it before he's executed. Um, twice during the 1980s, Anna Hopman sued the state of New Jersey for the unjust execution of her husband. Uh, both times the suits were dismissed on unknown grounds. And yes, she died at nine, age 95 in 1994. So, there we go. Also, the uh, superintendent of the New Jersey police at the time was Norman Schwarzkopf Sr. Oh, yeah. Father of Storm and Norman. Yep. Of Gulf War fame. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, you can learn all about this stuff by visiting Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> anyway, anyone have anything left to add? I'm good. Steve? I have nothing else to say. All right. Uh, Oliver, tell people where they can find you on the Internet. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Oliver Rockside. Steve? On Twitter, I am at Doc Pinko. You can find me at AlienCG, and you can find this podcast at IlluminatiPod. Ladies and gentlemen, I confess, I am the Lindbergh baby. Have a good week, everyone. Doodles. See ya.